Hello, Great Metal Debate listeners. This is Gomthog, and do we have a treat for you today. We have an interview with the one, the only, Sean Peck from Cage and Death Dealer. My friend Brian was lucky enough to snag an interview with Sean the other evening, and he had a lot to say. We'll get right to it. So here it is, our interview with classic metal vocalist, Sean Peck. Well, tonight we have the Hell Destroyer himself, Mr. Sean Peck of Cage and Death Dealer fame. Sean, welcome to the Great Metal Debate Podcast. Very cool of you to join us. Uh, we're huge fans, and that's a literal statement, not just a blowing smoke up your butt statement. So let's just jump right in if we can. Cool, man. It's, uh, thanks for having me, and uh, let's let's do it. I always like talking about myself. <laughs> yeah, it's our favorite topic. Listen, I, I want to start with something. I heard you say in an interview that uh, the first scream that you had off Supremacy and Bloodsteel in particular, that you were sitting in a chair, and it was your first take, and you were had virtually... Uh, no effects to it. Is that true? Is that on, uh, you mean the Death Dealer one? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, no, that's on Supremacy. That that first scream off Supremacy. Oh, Sorry. on um, Bloodsteel? Yes, off Bloodsteel. Uh, boy, you know, I have to remember. I know we, we had talked about that on the on the Death Dealer intro to um, the the um, the song Death Dealer, but I've got to remember right. b- back to Bloodsteel one, because I did kind of a... I did that black metal screech at the beginning of that. Um, you know, I, it I was impressive. Put, I always put some delay on, but I don't ever. There's no pitch corrector or you know auto tune or any of that stuff. I, the, I I worked with a producer one time on the Hell Destroyer record, and he was like wanted to go in and like try and pitch correct some of the stuff. I go, don't ever pull that plug it plug in out again. Do not ever <laughs> try and augment anything, even if it's a little off. You got to hear the you know the reality of it. So. Yeah, um, yeah. I'm usually sitting like in this chair right here that you see me in, and uh, I, I record most of the album sitting down, which is really weird. It's just because I'm operating the the unit myself. So uh, I had Ross the boss in here, and we were doing some demos together, and he's like, "Man, you're singing all that sitting down," and I'm like, "I guess it, I guess that's a big deal," but I, you know, but it's just like you just go for it. It's pretty damn impressive. I personally think you have crotch domes that grab you by the testicles when you have to hit those high notes. That's, that's humanly impossible, it seems like. It's very impressive. You know, it's it, uh, it's taken a while to um, to perfect the technique or whatever. I'm still getting better, man. I'm like, just the last um, Sunday we had practice, and man, they, I had these killer falsetto freaking screams going, like, better than I ever have in my life, I think. So I think I'm still kind of slowly climbing... Um, right. It's still still gaining uh, more and more power as I go along. I haven't hit the down the downslide of my career yet. Not <laughs> well, that's cool. It doesn't come off as falsetto. It comes off as very natural, which is hard to do with that kind of register. Yeah, there's a there's there's a mixture. You know, I, I mix a lot of it together. I mix the falsetto and the head voice and yeah. the chest voice. So it's a trip, man. It's you know I've got all my different little uh, my techniques. I'm still experimenting with some new ones and. And uh, the you know I've got the new Death Dealer record and the new Cage record coming up, and there, there's even new voices that I've never used before on those records. Very cool. Looking forward to that. Listen, when did when did you know that, that your voice and your ability to to do those things we were talking? When did you know it wasn't just a gimmick that it could be like an actual 
vocal style that you could do it and do it well and do it talented? Um, I start, you know, I, when I got into metal, I got into metal really late, you know, kind of like junior year in high school and all my friends were already like fully all about it. And, um, I was, you know, I had all the posters on my walls. I was running around my bedroom air, you know, singing, if you want to call it instead of air guitar, you're like air. Right. <laughs> and uh, so then I, you know, and I was kind of like the class clown guy and I do like, you know, impersonations and stuff. And so started trying to emulate some of the songs. And then as I, um, you know, learned that I could kind of come close to it, then, you know, being in, in my, when I got into my first band in college, you know, it was a lot more difficult actually being in a band and singing that stuff than it was, you know, just doing it in your bedroom. And was that Nomad or another? Well, I was in a, it was in a cover band first called Tax Evasion. Oh, okay. um, (laughs) The thing about that is, you know, those cover bands, man, you're singing like 50 songs a night and it is, uh, it's, that's, that's pretty hard. It's just, it's so, so tax and we're singing, you know, we're mixing in a lot of metal with the, the Louie Louie college cover scene. And then I got into (laughs) Then I got into Nomad, and um, yeah, then I really had to perfect my technique. And the, the key to me is like getting, you know, the key to success is having your own tone and your own sound where they hear like Sting or Ozzy, like right when that guy talks, you know that it's him. And I think I've been able to develop that, like right when, you know, they put on a song, they, they can they can recognize my tone. I don't think I sound like a lot of, uh, you know, Halloween clones, as they say, so... Um, I've been blessed with having my own kind of sound and uh, my own style. Yeah, I mean, it's great. You know, along those lines of just knowing that you're going to be able to do this, did you have sort of an, uh, an epiphany moment that you realized that, that you know, I don't want to say a religious experience, but a spiritual experience when you were like, this is it, this is what I want to do. It's, it's you know, when you understood that this is going to be your life. Well, I mean, it's, you know, metal becomes your freaking in your blood, man. It is like a, yeah. it is like a disease. It will not, you know, I'm still, you know, in my, well into my forties and I'm, um, you know, about to go on tour, you know, across <laughs> Eastern Europe and, uh, uh, leaving on Thursday. So it's, um, yeah, it's definitely, you know, it's a passion. Like, you know, even the people like you that I do interviews with, you know, that have their podcasts and have their internet radio shows, man. I mean, that aren't even in bands. I mean, we're just so all about it. It, it, You know, what's not to love about, I grew up as a little comic book, you know, Dungeons and Dragons geek. And, um, you know, it, it embodies all that killer, you know, superpowers. I always wanted to be a superhero, so I guess this is my way of dressing hey. up like a freaking, you know, Klingon emperor and going on stage and, you know, wailing into the mic and making all the faces and acting like I'm <laughs> commanding the uh, commanding the, the Starfleet. But, but you know, once, once it, back in the day, you know, you'd go to a Judas Priest concert or Maiden concert, you know, in Dickinson or, yeah. or uh, Halford pointed at you. There was no joking around, man. You were convicted, yeah. and you were just like fists in the air, like "Yes, man, I'll follow you into <laughs> battle." And um, that, you know, that positive aggression, that emotion that heavy metal brings, you know, different music brings different emotions, and the the emotion that heavy metal, um, you know, gets from gets out of us right. is that addictive thing. And then being able to be on stage now and perform. And actually create it is another thing. And then actually being the singer and having it emanate from your physical body is just like right. the pinnacle of that whole feeling. And um, yeah, it's, you know, I always compare it to actors and, you know, actors go on the set and they're like, cut, you know, and they go back to the trailer. They don't get the roar of the crowd. They don't get that instant. Right. 
Um, the only thing that I think is close is like, you know, a big politician that says his line and the crowd cheers. And I can see that's why, you know, all actors want to be rock stars and some rock stars want to be actors. But being the rock star is much, much more satisfying. Cool. The, the pointy becomes the pointer at some point. Yeah. Now, you, you do have that iconic voice. I wanted to talk about that a little bit. And, and people come to expect that. Uh, how do you as a band or are you in particular as an artist balance putting out music that the fans like and they love versus progressing as an artist versus changing your style? Um, it, from Cage, we've always been lucky. We've always seemed to have kept, you know, based on the reviews and record sales, like we right. we kept um, climbing the ladder, which is really, you can't say that about, I can't even think of any band. Like our first album, you know, best new band of the year on Rock Hard. Second album, you know, was number two on the sound check on Heavy Magazine. Third album, Darker Than Black, number one sound check, you know, sold a ton. Uh, then then came you know they're how are you gonna top darker than black then it was hell destroyer which sold amazingly and was even higher on the sound checks and reviewed and then like yeah. well there's no way we can do that then we implemented a new drummer got a little faster and thrashier on science of annihilation which is still probably my favorite and then you know supremacy of steel was number one on heavy magazine in germany and number two on rock hard which is right. which is our highest rating so we we've kept going up and now We've done two straightforward Cage records. Um, this new one is a is a concept record, and it's probably going to be a little more um, a little more. It's gonna it's gonna be a grower, I think. And I could be wrong about this because a lot of the songs are really catchy, but uh, it's a fine line to you know to to grow quote versus just making yeah. killer metal that that they want to hear. And I you know I'm not really I'm not I'm not really sold on the growing. I'm into like progressing from the in the from the idea standpoint and always trying to come up with some new um intellectual conceptual idea um because i go off the goosebump factor we write a song and man if i'm listening to it and i get the freaking the goosebumps i know that it's going to be something that the kids are going to want to rush to the front of the stage and and uh, cool. bang their yeah. head for an hour so that that's how i that's my barometer very cool now you know um speak um Metal's kind of blown up lately, and all the shrapnel comes in different sizes and shapes. You've got power, death, melodic death, thrash, deathcore, applecore, ground chuck, whatever you call it. <laughs> vocals have done the same thing. you got normal vocals, uh, the heavy gravel vocals, growlers, screamers, even operatic. Here's my question and all that. Where do you see metal vocals heading, and in particular, where do you see your vocals heading? Well, man, I'm doing so. I mean, I'm doing black metal. I mean, I'm doing the Danny Filth. I'm doing the freaking, uh, you know, Six Feet Under voice. I got so I don't know who does more voices than me on a record. I'd like, I'd like to find out. I'm doing the, you know, the power metal. You know, the the Dickinson, the Dio, the King Diamond, the Halford. I mean, I got you know. Right. You listen to Cage record. I'm throwing them all in there. So. Uh, I'm one of the things I haven't done a lot of is just like really, you know soft singing and that's like harder for me to do than you know all the power stuff so i've thrown in a, a couple of little soft little parts um that have some more emotion um because that's a, a, just a, an area i haven't gone yet the only thing i i have a you know problem with the um you know the death metal vocals is like you know part of the the um, power of music not only is the music but it's also the lyrics and when you can't you know they go this song is called death and destruction and that's the only thing you understand the whole freaking way through. right 
yeah. unless you're reading the lyric sheet, you're um, you are you're um, you're kind of like constraining yourself for the for the you know the the seriousness yeah, of yeah. the of the delivery. And so um, I don't know where vocals are gonna go, but you know I like where I'm at, and I'm trying to make it even crazier than it than it was before. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, sure. Well, you know, let me let me let me take a moment to just kiss ass here for a minute. As a personal fan, I'm always amazed that you have the range that you have and you do it all on key. You know, there are people that try and attempt a lot of the things that you do, but but they just don't quite get down there or up there. And so that's one of the things that I appreciate uh, in particular about your music. Um, cool. Let me ask you. Go ahead. Now, um, yeah, it's nice that you say I sing in key. That's very uh, that's encouraging. <laughs> Well, if you can call it on key, you sing great metal on tune. How about that? Yeah, man. It's just, and you got to have, you know, I'm always for the hook and the melody. And, you know, it's got to be right. melodic. It's got to be powerful. And like I said, it's got to be, I grew up from the Halford Dickinson school. And, you know, that's where I gravitate to. And it was always, you know, you no matter what I'm singing about, it's got so much conviction that it's believable. And, and, and some topics that people would consider completely ridiculously cheesy. Right, right. Um, just come across, you know, I've got a, a lot, a lot of that in the reviews come across as, um, as you know, like, hell yeah, you know, but I have not still, <laughs> I still to this day have not used the word dragon in any song that I've written. <laughs> oh man, got to work that in. Let me ask you this. Are there different vocal skills needed for cage versus death dealer? Is it a different set of uh, things you bring to the table? I'm not really. It's, I think the recording you know, um, on Cage, I'm layering a lot more vocals. That Death Dealer, mm -hmm. we, we try and stick with just one vocal um, line. Uh, that makes it sound a little different. Cage, I'm layer. You know, I'm freaking throwing so many layers in there just because I think it's fun and you know a lot of a lot, most of the time it sounds cool. <laughs> Some of the times it might be a little much, but uh, uh, and I'm not layering it in there to you know cover up some sort of weakness or something. It's just because. Um, I get I get going and I'm like, what did this? How would this voice sound in there? Too? So, <laughs> yeah. um, that would be the main, you know, one of the things that makes definitely sets it apart. But uh, the Death Dealer stuff is tuned up half a step higher, so okay. it does make my voice sound a little different too. And um, okay. I didn't never think that was going to be really much of a challenge, but the, the you know the Death Dealer stuff's definitely challenging to sing live. But um, uh, so far so good on on that. You better get ready. Coming up next week, right? Yeah, man. <laughs> well, let me ask you this. And on this question, I'm not interested in details or dirt. We'll leave that to the National Choir. But there are obviously differences in a band. You know, different band members bring different things to the table. How do you handle that? And, you know, it, there's obviously going to be conflict at some point. But how do you handle all the different visions that come to the table in the writing process? The most important commodity and I, I was going to start an 800 number for band psychologists because I mean, this, <laughs> I mean, it doesn't matter how how cool everybody is. There's always band drama, man. It's just yeah, yeah. relationships. So um, the most important commodity, though, is enthusiasm. You know, and I have this this thing that's like um, in a band, you know, everyone's going to have a weakness. It's going to be one guy's going to be like he's got money, he's got gear, he plays great, he sounds <laughs> great. But he's a drunk mm -hmm. idiot, you know. The next <laughs> one is going to be, um, you know, every everything's great, but he doesn't move around on stage. I was like the perfect band member, except I was fat. 
That was my that was my only week. <laughs> oh, that's harsh on yourself, dude. Yeah. So, uh, but I lost. You know, I, I'm still. I need to lose some more. But I lost 40, 45 pounds. So I'm not quite. So I'm almost becoming the perfect band member because uh, <laughs> I uh, bust my ass. I write good stuff. I perform good. You know, blah blah blah. So yeah. that's always a little a funny thing. You can just pick each guy out. Each so, you know, one guy is going to have. A weakness right. in different areas. It's like it's like building a D and D character, you know, your statistics and stuff. And um, but you know, as far as writing goes, it was interesting with death. You know, Cage. You know, uh-huh. we've always had no problem writing. Dave and I, we make uh-huh. our jokes back and we're like we're like two brothers. We're always you know attacking Very each cool. other and um, arguing and for the better mm-hmm. of the song and you know we're right. spinning the pudding. But Death Dealer was a different thing because you know I was writing with Mike Davis and Ross, the boss, who I didn't really know any of those guys. And I'm pretty, uh, ad, you know, Stu and I had a great track record of writing stuff together, but writing with these right. other guys, I never had um, the, you know, I'm like, what happens when I disagree with Ross, the boss, and I think it should be this way, and he thinks it should be that right. way. Ross has got, you know, his freaking pedigree <laughs> is, um, right. you can't really argue with him. And and I had to learn more about Ross. I wasn't really a big Man of War fan, and so I didn't really quite know, you know, why I should respect him and, and his accomplishments. But I've learned sure. since then, you know, just how incredible of a legacy that the guy actually has. And so, um, but we never ran into, you know, there's, we never ran is amazing and we're you know we almost have the second album done now we still have not gone like dude no it needs to be like this so we haven't ran in we haven't had that um that uh butting of heads but i think you know the cool thing about death dealers ross is just so into it i'm I'm just that just i'm tickled pink about it because uh, i know it's a that's a that's a gay saying but you know (laughs) but he (laughs) i'm I'm just like as long as you're not wearing pink we're good he's so into death dealer and he just loves the music and it's just like it's so cool to um have him enthusiastic about it and all the guys are and, and and um that definitely helps with the band, you don't want to have the negative guy, you know, we're in this for fun. This is for, you know, to live the rock and roll adventure and, you know, destroy the planet. And you don't ever want any guy like, "Eh," you know, that's why we got rid of these, these last cage guys, because they're a bunch of complainers and we're like, next, you know, we want, we want people that are fully enthusiastic. And, uh, this new cage lineup I got is probably my favorite lineup I've ever had. Do do you know when it's reached that point? Do you try to hold on to it or you go, this just isn't, Screw this! It's gonna, they're gonna have to go. I, you know, I, I my personality is I always try and hold on and try and mediate and everything. But man, like some of these, <laughs> some of the cage um, people that we, you know, the, the personnel we've gone through, man, I've just gone like, you know, okay, yeah. divorce time, and you know, we just <laughs> went, we just went through this kind of with Rhino and and uh, Death Dealer. And, you know, he had a big family thing, and you know, he had yeah. to move on with his life and. And, um, you know, I just I knew that it was, you know, it was probably the right move. And the rest of the guys were really worried about it. And everything worked out for the best for all parties in that situation. Cool. You ever just have to take one for the team and put a song on that you really don't want to do or, you know, play it in concert? Um, I'm not I'm not big on that, man. I'm not big on like, ah, (laughs) you know, so I'm like. You know, cool. Normally, what I I do is we just keep we just keep reworking the song until it's not in the take one for the team category. You know, like <laughs> yeah, yeah. I can think of the song Christ Hammer off um, Hell Destroyer. I mean, there oh, was like ten versions song. of that thing. They were just oh, completely really? not even close to what 
the final song was, uh, where we thought like, yeah, it's done. And I'm just like, ah, oh, it's just not good enough. You know? <laughs> and I'm always a hypochondriac when it comes to this music. Like I'm tripping out right now on the new cage album and the death dealer. album. like, is it as good as, you know, war master, you know, or hell destroyer. And I'm always, um, you know, not very confident. Everybody else, it's the complete opposite of, you know, all the other interviews I hear. Like, oh, man, this new album is the best, and, man, it's going to be. Right. And I, I just go into every album like, oh, there's no way we're going to top the last one, man. There's right. no way. So, yeah, sometimes you listen back to your old stuff, and you're just going, I can't believe we freaking wrote that song, you know? <laughs> some, some... Well, you know, go ahead. No, go ahead. Sorry. Well, I was going to say there's that creative tension again. You now some of the best art in the world's come from conflict. You know, and a lot of people have uh, solo projects, side projects, or a second band. How do you handle those two bands? I mean, especially with stuff like what you're talking about right now, you know, working through songs, and you're doing that at the same time with Cage and Death Dealer, right? Yeah, I mean, I've never really had to do that before, so it's it's a new deal. Um, you know, we got two albums that are going to come out pretty close to each other. You know, it was easy this time around because the Cage album is a concept album, so any idea that wasn't directly related to... Um, the concept, you know, like, okay, that goes to Death Dealer. Um, mm -hmm. And then going on to the third Death Dealer project, the third Death Dealer project is going to be kind of a concept thing, too. So, And then Cage will probably revert back to a traditional album. So right. I'll have that. That will definitely help me from the idea department. But, you know, I'll come up with a riff in my head, and I'm like, going, ooh, you know, where, what do we do? What do we do for that? But, but Stu right. and Ross write so much stuff that, you know, I, I probably contribute more you know, I write a lot of riffs just by going dun, 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 and that kind of thing. Um, and a lot of, I've done definitely a lot of that, more of that for um, for Cage than Death Dealer, but still done a pretty significant part for Death Dealer too. But um, it's interesting. And now that, you know, there's going to be probably a third and fourth project that, you know, that I'm going to be doing. It's going to be a mess. It's going to be a mess. It's going to be busy. Yeah. <laughs> but we love it. Keep it coming. Cool. Okay, our podcast is uh, me, I'm an 80s metal fan versus Gomthog. He's sort of the modern progressive metal type. And uh, this is one of the reasons why I really uh, love your band, Cage especially, and, and the Death Dealer. You were there for the in-between phase, late 90s to the 2000s. Um, just briefly tell us how you got started, because I love the grassroots part of your popularity, of how you came up through a time when metal was supposedly gone and you... I hate to say it, but you defended the faith, brother. So talk, talk about Una Horton and getting to where you are now. You see yes. that? That is nailed the, to the uh, gun. That was the um, this. I'm holding up a fight paint. Yeah, the band fight. Cool. That was kind of the blueprint for Cage. We had, you know, my band Nomad and Dave Band's Crusher were kind of you know traditional heavy metal, power metal bands. Um, both were really good. You know, we we're kind of rivals in San Diego. And then they both kind of fragmented apart at the same time. So Dave, you know, kind of had a band going. And then I went over to, to sing with them. And um, we started putting it together. And uh, Dave was, you know, is a big muscle monster. And people are like, you're going to get in a band with that guy? You're crazy. Oh, He's crazy. <laughs> so, and I got, man, I'm not afraid, dude. You know, so... Um, the, that was the key to our successes. I mean, we, you know, kept we wanted to still wear leather and spikes and still do screaming heavy metal, but the fight thing was a little more raw and a little you know heavier. So that was our kind of concept. And then um, locally, we were able to play just humongous shows because there was like a power vacuum, and we were the only 
one of the only like metal bands left and I was really working the scene really hard with the promoters and they, they knew that if they booked, you know, I'm a salesman too, so that didn't hurt. They knew that if they booked us, you know, they were going to move a lot of tickets and that's for anybody listening out there. That's all these promoters care about. They don't care if you're playing Mary had a little lamb. If you sell a hundred tickets, they're just like, yeah, dude, you're awesome. Bring it on, bring it on. So uh, yeah. A lot of hard work went into it, but I mean, we were able to open for Maiden, freaking Priest, uh, yeah. Scorpions, even bands like Great White. You were drawn like still like a thousand people, you know, in these huge uh-huh. venues down here. And we weren't really that good at all. I mean, this was like ninety. We started <laughs> in ninety two. They're like ninety. Right. You know, uh, you know, six, seven, and we just had some right. just humongous, <laughs> amazing shows. Um, simply because, you know, I was working the, the scene so hard and we were one of the only, you know, guys flying the flag and defending the faith, like you said. So, like, it was a real secret to our su- success. We had to become good quick or, you know, you're going to get, you're opening up for, it was it was Cage, Dio, and Maiden. I mean, we walked backstage. Right. Yeah. To the cool. left was the, the backstage room said Dio. The middle one was Cage. The right one was Maiden. And we were just hanging in the dressing room with Iron Maiden going, dude, it's never going to get any better than this. And, um, <laughs> And that just, you know, it's a, and when they go, well, what advice do you have for bands up and coming? Like, it's just play what you want to play. Forget any trend, forget any right. style. Just like, you know, play it from the heart. And if you think it's awesome, just go with it and let the chips fall where they may. And that's kind of what we did. And the, when we finally got to release Unveiled, which was 98, yeah. you know, as we've been a, a band six years and we did a record, but we never released it. It's still, it's. I think it's on digital somewhere called the Lost Album. But we we right. you know had a, a new guitar player. We recorded Unveiled, had a lot better songs, and that thing like took off on its own just because there was all these heavy metal fans that were just dying to have this true metal album like that. And I mean, right. they, I was we were selling. There were people in Europe that were like mailing us envelopes full of cash, just like hundred dollar bills, <laughs> you know, in in the mail. Just like I remember opening like two thousand bucks in cash from this one record label. I'm like, dude, that's how you guys do business. You just send an envelope full of cash, and um, it just, you know, it was the time was right, and you know, we won the best new band of the year competition by some guy in Europe, Jurgen Schemmler. Yeah. submitted us to the to the Rock Hard magazine, which we didn't even know existed until I got a call like, hello, Sean, yo, this is uh, Klaus from Rock Hard. You have won the contest. And I'm like, someone's playing a joke on me. Who Who is calling me? And uh, a German joke. next thing you know, we're playing, you know, the Dynamo Festival with Metallica and Manowar. It's like wow. incre- the incredible lineup that year. And that's, wow. you know, that's what started everything, just by sticking to your guns. And now we're, um, you know, some 20 plus years later we're on album number seven and you know we've we've managed to maintain a following and um we right now there's something going on with cage right now there's like this we're getting calls from out of the blue and you know so we we've managed to to put some roots in the underground i think we've got some respect in the scene oh absolutely absolutely and I, by the way i would love to hear cage's version of mary had a little lamp could we do that at some point mary! So. <laughs> all right Let's do a little lightning round real quick. Real quick sort of a one-sentence answer. Lightning answers, round. Yes, who's your vocal icon? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, we're going to put effects around your head while this goes on, so don't worry about how you look. We're good. Cool, man. <laughs> yeah, who's your vocal icon? Halford, of course. I mean, that's easy. Yeah. Uh, how do you get up for a show when you're having a bad day? Um... I'm not a big guy. I'm not big on depression. I'm always pretty much uh, a happy guy, so I don't have a lot of bad days. And I do have this weird thing where I get quiet, like, 
30, mm-hmm. 45 minutes before the show, I just like, yeah, you know, yeah. I'm a big loud mouth the rest of the time. And I, then all of a sudden I shut down and then I hit the stage and you, you know what happens after that. Yeah. Laser beam. Uh, favorite Marvel hero. Silver Surfer. Not even, oh, not even a hesitation. Like Silver Surfer. Without hesitation, huh? You think he's the most powerful? Of course. The power cost. Yeah, I think Wolverine could kick his ass, but we'll address <gasps> another podcast. Who? <laughs> Wolverine. Wolverine could kick his so Come on, guy. He would just turn <laughs> his molecules into freaking space dust with a. With yes, thought. if you like that kind of thing. <laughs> so you played Dungeons and Dragons. That's cool. You answered that one earlier. I know. Uh, Stu Marshall told me to ask you why he's the greatest guitarist in the world. Um, <laughs> probably because he's working with such a great vocalist songwriter he call he calls he calls me and him the modern day lennon and mccartney that's, what he calls, that's, <laughs> that's great that's freaking great i'm interviewing him on uh monday night our time um now uh do, do a quick yes or no here if you want ufos ufo what yes or no believe yes uh, absolutely I'm a, U- I'm a ufo freak man i'll sit there for hours watching videos <laughs> Yeah, I saw you put up the cigar on your Facebook page. Uh, I finally uh, saw a UFO um, like a month ago. I tried filming it. It was right over San Diego. Then three vertical lights. I called my neighbor. It was like midnight. I go, Pete. He's like, yeah. I go, you want to see some UFO stuff? He's like, yeah. I go, come out. And he met me out in the street, man. We watched this thing for for like 20 minutes. I'd say that's a big yes. Uh, Bigfoot. Bigfoot. Ah, I'm going to probably say yes just because... There's so many credible sightings, um, even though they haven't found a body, which is very, very strange. There's not a lot of yeah. great evidence for any of this stuff, but um, why not? Let's sure, do sure. Loch Ness. Loch Ness? Yeah. Yeah, I'd say that Loch Ness is probably right. Sea monsters are easy. <laughs> the pick of destiny. The pick of destiny is not real. Not real. Obamacare. Obamacare, unfortunately, is real. <laughs> Oh yes, it's real. All right, just real quick, the final two questions. I mean, I don't know Anything if you call if you, if nightmares are considered real, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, let's I've go. Been, I won't make on you... Obamacare. I've been talking to you know I, I've been talking to this guy who's full on you know insurance guy. He says at the right. end of 2014, when they see the math on this, uh-huh. how upside down it is. I mean, everything's great and everything, but when they see how many people are getting subsidized and the money it's going to cost, they're going to go. Um, we need to print <laughs> some more money, like. Like quick, yeah. I, I I noticed in some of your posts that you have a bit of a conservative slant on certain things, so I thought I'd just throw that a, in there. Just a bit, just a bit. <laughs> Anything you've ever been wanted to ask, or you've ever wanted someone to ask you that they haven't? In a, in an um, interview? yeah. Like I want people to say, I heard you're one of the greatest ping pong players in California. Okay, Sean, I've heard that you're one of the greatest ping pong players in California. I'm Is like, this true? I'm ready to try out for the Olympics, man. I recently <laughs> got very, very, very good at ping pong. I was already, like, amazing, but um, I was able to spend some time practicing seriously against some Vietnamese guys. And, um, yeah, I played a lot of soccer, too. I played Division One in San Diego State and um, was the first guy to ever snowboard in Alaska and was the Bear Mountain Big Air champion in 91 and 92. Wow, excellent. I got some accomplishments, man. I love ping pong. You should come out to Kentucky and we'll play ping pong and D&D. It'd be an awesome thing. I played, you know, not just D&D, but I played, um, you know, the, the fantasy trip was like this next one next to D&D. I played Champions, Ooh. which was a superhero one. I played Traveler. I played freaking Top Secret. Um, 
Wow. All the Avalon Hill board games, all the war simulation games, Squad Leader, Panzer Blitz. I mean, right. I was so you had to join two bands to get chicks, obviously, because you know that wasn't happening a lot with your. You know, that, that's you know, I have such a, a charming personality. I was like the only <laughs> guy playing D and D that actually got chicks. You know. There you go. I was, hey, man, I was promoted works. class flirt in high school like two years in a row. I mean, there's chicks. Chicks is one of my specialties. <laughs> all right, just. Um, Tell us what's coming up for Cage and, and Death Dealer real quick. Cage, um, we're probably 75% done with the new record. The new record's called Ancient Evil. Um, yes. I bought a, uh, or I bought, I wrote a 45,000 word mini novel of this yeah. horror story. I was, I was, you know, jammed up to do a band with three of the ex-King Diamond guys, and so I started writing this story. Like, well, let's do a horror concept. I was kind of writing it for that, and then that thing fell right. apart, and I ended up, like, looking at the story, going, this story's badass. I need to use this for Cage. Forget this. And, like, so a few years later, I just kept tinkering on it, tinkering on it, and now it was done, and we decided to go for it. And um, there's some character, you know, some voice acting parts in it, and um, it's, it's 1869, London, England, very, very much H.P. Lovecraft-influenced. And um, also influenced by my um, millions of hours playing video games. Excellent. And um, it's you know there's the the book's gonna ship with some versions of the of the record, and it's gonna be you know real King Diamond vibe. And it's uh, it's definitely you know concept albums are very hard to get right. You know so many people. Yeah. We did Hell Destroyer, we got that one right, but so many people make concept records, and they're just like you know they just don't do it so i don't like to do a lot of nebulous leave too much for the imagination i like to be literal mm -hmm. and like right. this is the story and this is what i want you to understand and so and the mute you know we got this new lineup with cage we have um casey trask on guitar sean elge on drums dwight magic on the bass killer new lineup and they're all about it and so we've been just recording and writing and it's it's um it's still fast and um it's it's so far so good and we're going to be doing a tour to support that record in Europe in July. So we got a couple festivals. We're back in the festival circuit out there, which is really cool. And um, then we're going to do the East Coast. Maybe we can get by to Kentucky. East Coast in November. Diamond Pub in Louisville. That's a great venue. I'll have to write that down. Diamond Pub in where? Louisville? In Louisville, Kentucky. Diamond Pub. I'm writing it down right now. And then... Um, Excellent. We're going to be doing some Mexico, too. So Cage is you know, going strong, man. Oh yeah, yeah, cool. And then Death Dealer. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I, you know, in a four day or five days, I leave for like you know the biggest tour of my life. It's minor little. It's <laughs> gonna be like an arena tour, nine dates, Eastern Europe. You know, I mean, Moscow, Russia, freaking yeah, Istanbul, yeah. Turkey. I mean, crazy. Opening up for the Metal All Stars, which you know I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be hanging out with Zach Wild and Vince Neil. It's gonna be quite surreal. Yeah. And. Um, we're looking just to freaking lay down the gauntlet, which is supreme mm. power. And uh, then, like I said, we're pretty much, you know, we only have like two more songs to kind of finish up for the Death Dealer record. Yeah, um, yeah. Mark Sasso's doing the artwork for that again. It, the cover's almost done. Mm -hmm. And um, then we plan on doing a tour in Europe in September in Western Europe. And um, right after that, probably while we're on this tour, we're going to be writing a lot for the next, you know, the third release. Third album, Death yeah. Dealer. 
If that was when we started this band, we're like, we're going to put stuff out like quick, man. We're going to just keep mm-hmm. out coming out with a product. And the first one did really, really good. And man, the, the fans just really embraced it. And the pre-order packages were a big, big success. And we're working right now to try and get more creative ideas on what we can put in this new pre-order package and um, for both Cage and Death Dealer. And uh, anyone that's bought stuff from us knows that it's just like t- tons of value. I mean, we just create yeah. so much in there. People are like, I can't believe you're putting all this stuff in there. So, yeah. And that's, you know, I just I just think about all this stuff from as a fan perspective. What do you want to see? And I was just like, if Priest put out this kind of package, you know, a sketch art book with like liner notes on all about the songs and how they wrote right. and what's coming yeah. up next. I mean, I would have been loving, loving that stuff. And so I'm just, you know, trying think of things that i would like as a fan and and as a comic book nerd and a dungeons and dragons player and and then put it in the package very cool okay where can fans get merchandise and music for both your bands for cage and death cage is cageheavymetal.com cageheavymetal.com and we're re- we're rebooting up the site again. We're redoing the site to make it a little prettier. And then DeathDealer.co. We couldn't get DeathDealer.com. I think they wanted forty eight thousand bucks for the name. I'm like, you know what? Wow. I'll just do yeah. DeathDealer.co, and uh, that <laughs> extra M is gonna is not worth the fifty thousand dollars to me. So uh, <laughs> so DeathDealer.co yeah. and. Um, we're uh like i said we're just um making new music and getting out on the road and and uh trying to uh rule the earth through the power not the power cosmic but the power of heavy metal excellent well on behalf of gom fog and myself i want to thank sean peck of cage and death dealer I want to thank the listeners and i think we're out sean i appreciate it very much brian good interview man that was fun